Some years ago, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a very interesting book in which he dealt with a very hairy situation that all of us find us in, uh, in this world. The title of his book was, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And certainly that is a very serious theological and psychological study that needs to be addressed, and he did a wonderful job in there of explaining to us why bad things happen to good people. Well, this morning, Jesus takes us a little further in the study of hairy situations and asks us something a little different. What he asked us is, why is it that sometimes good people do bad things? Why is it that good people sometimes do bad things? A very important situation, one that every one of us have dealt with. We've been on both sides of that equation, as a matter of fact. And it's a very important thing uh, for us to consider, and that's why Jesus speaks of it this morning. How is it that good people sometimes can do bad things? You know, we expect bad people to do bad things. So if we hear about people who are uh, uh, chronic liars uh, or uh, serial killers or or maniacal dictators, then we expect evil to come from them. But what happens when we see bad things happen from people that we expect good to come from all the time? How is it that that can happen? Well, the fact of the matter is that we're all human. And even good people from time to time can do bad things. Even a good parent sometimes can be a bad parent and a spouse. Even a godly loving person can from time to time say and do things that hurt other people. You know, there's a name for that. It's sin. Did you hear that? It's sin. That's what happens to us. None of us are free from sin. As long as we live in our human nature, as long as we live in this human condition, we're all subject to losing contact with the things that are important to us and to which we have dedicated ourselves and getting lazy and falling slothfully into not considering the concerns of other people, and sinning against other people. But what Jesus is telling us is that we have a Redeemer whose job it is to come and save sinners. And there is not a person in this church who is not in need of a Redeemer, who is not in need of a Savior, who will save us from our predilection to sin whenever we let our guards down. All of us are subject to sinning. Problem is, we have an unrealistic view toward that. And as I said, we think and expect bad things to come from bad people, but when someone who we perceive as a good Christian man or woman does something that hurts us, or that tears down the fabric of the body of Christ within the church, 
then we are tempted to jettison everything good that we know about that person and feel that they probably have never been really a good person at all, but they, finally their wolf's clothing, has, their sheep's clothing has come off and reveal them to be the wolf that they are. That they never were good to begin with, that they are hypocrites. And whenever we give in to that way of thinking, then we perpetuate that myth within the church that good people are incapable of doing bad things. And we become totally and completely unrealistic. And that's why Jesus goes to the trouble here in Scripture to tell us how to deal with such a situation. Because he knows it's going to happen. Because the church is not so much a museum for perfect people as it is a hospital for nursing us back to good health. That the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is shared and preached and experienced within the church. And we are, a nation, we are a people who are constantly being called to come back and to forgive one another. And that's the first thing that we need to look at in this little scenario that Jesus gives us in this part of Scripture. First of all, he doesn't tell us if this ever happens but he says when it happens because he knew as human beings trying to deal with each other with our shortcomings with the pressure that we live in from time to time and with the emotions that we deal with with sometime we are going to hurt each other and sometime it's just a, a totally unintended and it's just a slight that the individual didn't mean to make but they let their guards down and they said something without thinking that was injurious to the person who heard it. And it cut them to the quick. When that happens in the church, we call that stained glass cutting. When that cuts people because of what has been carelessly said or remarks that have been made or even worse, remarks that are reported to us as having been said by someone that we immediately take at face value and put distance between us and that individual. Jesus said, that's going to happen. You're only human beings. And when you're living and working and ministering within the church and dealing with all the pressures that are part of life, patience is, patience is going to be frayed and sensitivity will sometime put us in situations uh, that cause um, hurtful things to one another. So Jesus goes to the trouble of giving us an outline of how we deal as church members when this happens. And the first thing Jesus says is that it is incumbent on the person who has been hurt the one who has the pain, it is incumbent upon them to be the one to take the initiative and to go to the person who they think hurt them and try to resolve the situation. See, that's not what we expect. 
We thought that Jesus would say, whoever caused the harm should humble themselves, get down on their knees, crawl to the person, and beg for forgiveness. But that's not what Jesus said. His clear instructions are, it's the one who was hurt. If you have been hurt or you feel you have been slighted by someone or you have heard that someone has slighted you and if it aches your heart and hurts you and gives you pain and you cannot sleep at night because of, the, uh, of worrying about what someone has had the audacity to say about you or to you, then you would think that that would be the person Uh, 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 who would be waiting for the other person to come and forgive them. But Jesus said, no, if you're the one who has the pain, you're the one that must start the process of reconciliation. You need to go prayerfully and lovingly to that individual and explain to him how you have been hurt by what they said or did or what you heard them say or do. And when you can do that one-on-one, 90% of the time the situation is resolved, and 90% of the time it all comes down to a misunderstanding. And that's why the person who is thought to have caused the harm has been sleeping like a baby all this time and hadn't lost any energy at all, and has never fretted over the thing, not because they don't have any conscience, but because they don't have any knowledge. They didn't understand what they had said had been so hurtful to the individual. Maybe they were having a difficult time that day, and without thinking, they said something that was not intended to hurt, but did. And once the hurt is there, it has to be dealt with. And Jesus said, it's the one who's hurt that begins that process. And that's the first thing that we as Christian people need to be clear about, and that's how we resolve situations that have the power to split a church. And it comes into misunderstandings. I can't tell you the number of times I have had a funeral and have dealt with families there at a funeral and soon come to realize that there are people within that family who haven't talked to one another for years, maybe for generations, because one side of the family is thought to have said or done something and and possibly may have truly done so and maliciously, but they did something that instead of being resolved, the family members just allowed it to fester within them and to separate them and to break families apart. And you can see Satan getting ready to dance on the grave because he's been able to keep these people apart. But funerals are great times of grace. And God is present there very often with great opportunities for forgiveness. And I've seen so many families that have reconciled at the time of a death and see them almost scratching their head by trying to explain, well, I don't remember why we don't talk to that side of the family, 
But that's the way I was raised, that we just don't have anything to do with that side of the family. And all of those years of separation, all those years of nursing pain and anguish, all those years of of stained glass cuts that had happened within Christian families can be brought to a resolution when they come to each other and reconcile. And that's what Jesus tells us. Don't wait and waste all of those years by separating ourselves one from another. That's how the devil conquers, divides, and conquers. Separates us and puts us in little camps that compete with one another. We're supposed to be doing ministry together. And when the church can come together and be about its main purpose of ministering to the world, then the world is truly impacted for Jesus Christ by the energy of all who come together to work that. But these misunderstandings separate us. So Jesus tells us the first thing is for the people uh, involved to come together one-on-one with the one who's hurt taking the initiative. And if you can do that, 90% of them are resolved. But then Jesus said, if it's not resolved that way, then he said, use the power and the grace and the forgiveness that is part of the church and bring people from the church together, starting with the smallest uh, circle of one or two people and then, if necessary, bringing more people out till it becomes almost like an intervention which is being used very successfully in our nation today where so many families are being torn apart by things that separate them. And that love for the family member who's causing that pain, rather than just cut them loose, is shown when parents and siblings and children and spouses and friends come together to confront them and tell them how destructive what they're doing uh, is and to try to resolve it. And we see wonderful things happen in our society today when people follow this intervention that we think has come uh, from our uh, psychologists and counselors of today. This is what Jesus told us to do over 2,000 years ago. And it still has that validity today. So Jesus said if if, uh, if the... Uh, the uh, one-on-one doesn't resolve it, then you bring members of the church who don't come to beat the person, but come to pray with them and to reason with them and to try to bring about reconciliation. And in most instances, then that will happen. That will take place and success will be had. But Jesus says, well, what if even after you've tried all of that, then there is no way that you can be mutually reconcile with the individual. What do you do then? And Jesus has an answer. He says, if everything else fails, then you must treat them as you would a pagan and a tax collector. Now, what does that mean? Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Is that some ancient Christian curse that was spoken over people that came to this, uh, res- uh, this failure to resolve? Is this some special incantation that Christians can say over people before they cast them outside for the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth? 
No, what Jesus was saying is that then you must do what I have always done. You must do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He loved pagans and sinners. He forgave pagans and sinners. He died for pagans and sinners. And so Jesus said the final resolution is to make sure that you have God's peace within you. Refuse to allow that to fester within your heart any longer and give it up to God. And what reasoning and prayer could not do for bringing about reconciliation to that person, grace can do. Because the grace, forgiveness, the love of Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything. So kill your pride. Swallow that pride. Love that person even though they are unlovable. And forgive them no matter what. And then go about and live your life with the joy that the Lord wants you to have. And simply leave them to the Lord. There's some things that can only be handled by God. But Jesus said you must separate yourself from that process then and simply surrender that person by loving and forgiving them and not having any more pain and not losing any more sleep and not worrying any more about what somebody said or might have said against you but be busy in doing the work of the Lord. Jesus has visited among us today. And he has given us the formula for successful Christian living, which is being able to forgive as he forgave. Let's accept Jesus' plan on, deal, on dealing with these things and free up ourselves for ministry. Amen? Amen.